1: Today, I am chatting with Eden Appiah-Kubi about the Bennett women. Eden fell in love with classic novels in fourth grade when her mom read her Jane Eyre chapter by chapter as a bedtime story. She's an alumna of a small New England university with a weird mascot and a former Peace Corps volunteer. Today, she works as a librarian and lives in the D.C. suburbs with her husband and hilarious daughter. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Eden. How are you today?
0: I'm very well. Greetings from sunny Maryland in the DC suburbs.
1: That's one of the things I have really enjoyed so much about this podcast is talking to people all across the country, and then sometimes not even in the country, but elsewhere.
0: That could that'd be a lot of fun.
1: So, why don't we start out with you talking a little bit about the Bennett Women? Just give us a quick summary for those that won't have read it yet.
0: Well, the Bennett Women is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice set on a contemporary college campus. And the heroine is. EJ Elizabeth Jacqueline Lucas, who is an engineering student, a senior at Longbourn University, and an RA. She and her best friend Jamie, who is a recently out trans woman, uh, both live in the uh, titular Bennett House. And it's more than just a woman's dorm, it's sort of an identity based on its sort of location being far away from the campus and the fact that in the Massachusetts winters, they formed a sisterhood in the little house up the hill. And so we're following EJ and Jamie through his senior year. And in the fall, at the fall formal uh, particularly, Jamie meets Lee, a handsome young man who's got sort of junior year glow up. He's suddenly become handsome and as well as uh, cool and popular in a, a very nice guy way, if you will. Uh, his best friend who's making a sudden appearance on campus, Will. It's later learned that Will is Will Pack's Sealist star fleeing Hollywood for um, mysterious reasons. But he's been in the tabloids in not a good way. So we're wondering why he's there and why, if he's fleeing, why is he being such a jerk to everyone, particularly EJ? <laughs>
1: Well, I absolutely love Pride and Prejudice. Jane Austen is one of my favorite authors and Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion are my two favorites of her stories.
0: Mine too. Those are are the two. (laughs) Oh, really? I just think they
1: are just wonderful and some of the only books that I ever reread because I'm just not normally a rereader, but I just love both those stories so much that I do actually pick them up and reread them periodically. But So I'm always a sucker for any retelling of Pride and Prejudice. And I just had so much fun reading your book. Um, Such a modern updating of it. I loved all the references. I actually had to look up some of the references. I'm probably too old. But I just thought it was so much fun to read. So how did you decide to do a modern spin on Pride and Prejudice?
0: Well, it came through a writing group. This has been a long time coming. So the whole book started as a scene for my writing book back in 2007. I actually dug it up the other day, thanks to Google Docs. In my 80, 20s, I was in the the Jumbo Slice writing group, which we sort of formed on Craigslist. Everything I'm saying is going to sound so Bush-era. <laughs> <laughs> we were formed on Craigslist. And the invited invited Jumbo Slice, for DC area folks will know, is sort of an after pub crawl food. It's um, a very 2 a.m. kind of meal. So this is a very 20s uh, kind of group. And so part of what we do is that we had different exercises before we critique other people's works to just get everyone writing. And one exercise I participated in was rewrite a famous scene from literature. You know, we, we get like half, you know, half an hour or less than that, actually. And just go. And I immediately thought of proposal scene. And I wasn't that far off college. So I immediately thought of, I, I went to a small elite New England clouds as well. And the village nature of that kind of experience struck me immediately. It's just sort of like, everyone knows everyone, there are interesting traditions and lots of weird hierarchies. And so I immediately had, uh, you know, wrote a scene. And, and in that version, Will was just the lead singer of the ver- school's very popular a cappella group, which is also very rich and, you know, very annoying. And EJ was a hardworking RA. That scene took place in her dorm room. And there are many um, adjustments to the content of the conversation, but the scene is... Not that different than it was, you know, all that time ago. So that's where it started. I'm the kind of person who, once characters get in my head, they won't leave me alone. So I tried to write other things, and it's just like, I still have things to say. (laughs) And so she got her own book.
1: (laughs) Well, it was just so fun, as I said, and I loved all your references and how, I don't know, joyful the book was. I just, I thought it was so much fun from beginning to end, and I'm so glad you decided to write it. So it sounds like your publishing journey took a while.
0: Yeah, so I am as surprised by my publishing journey as anyone. I started taking up writing as a hobby again after college. I left college thinking I was going to go into journalism and then realizing quickly that the field had changed. Again, early Bush era, so big time for changes in print media and, and digital media and realizing that I wanted a different career, but I didn't want to leave writing behind. So that's sort of why I started to write. A writing group and that was just to see what i could do and you know this is a very long story short but i went to peace corps and kept writing while i was in peace corps so one of my main uh, activities and then came back and i had done some work on the novel when i come back and you know when when you leave a place you sort of have to sort of get plugged in socially again and one of my friends who was still in DC was in a writing group and she invited me. I was like, okay, I'll do I'll do that. And it was mainly for a social interaction and also just because I still liked writing. And through the writing group, I wrote my entire novel, I wrote, mostly to see if I could finish it. Cause I had never written anything that big before. I was a bit short, more of a short story, sort of parody writer before. And I finished my novel when I was also about to go on maternity leave. <laughs> I think, I think after four years. And so while I was on maternity leave, I edited it and not knowing what to do next, I was like, I guess I try and pitch this and started querying. And then with my, with my new baby, we started taking a, a new train to work. And one of my train buddies is also a, a romance writer, her name Adele Buck, who is actually uh, has her own series. She told me about the World of Twitter contest and things. And so I pitched DV Pit, and that's where I got my amazing Agent Michelle in 2016. And basically, we've been on submission since 2017, and there have been many alterations. I changed the voice entirely. It was more of a third person omniscient, which is, I was reading Game of Thrones at the time. So it seemed like a natural fit. Well, I had third person omniscient, and then so I tur- changed it to third person with multiple voices. the style of Game of Thrones. And it was the very last person we, uh, Michelle Pitts was the person who said yes. So that's my story for dreamers everywhere. It can be the very last person who asks. As long as you get a yes, it's a yes. Exactly.
1: It doesn't really matter who says yes, as long as you get a yes, right? Exactly. Well, I had a question about the multiple points of view. I really liked that you included Will's point of view and added that in.
0: Will's point of view was in, or Will's story was in there. But when I first wrote the novel, I wrote it third person omniscient. So uh, sort of looking at everyone from above, I knew the reader needed to see all sides for for the, the love to be believable and for the changes in personality to be acceptable. And you know, I think that's where it's fun to sort of debate like, did Lizzie really change her mind here or did she really change her mind there? And you know, in that kind of storytelling, you know, it's it's up to the reader to decide. But I wanted to give more heart than head, if you will. When I was hearing the, the feedback that people were just struggling with third-person omniscient and you know, no one really wanted to read a Victorian novel, that's when I was like, okay, I still need everyone's voice in there, and especially Will's, because I feel like if you don't see his side, it'll be very hard to accept like what you know about EJ, that she just decided that this was okay. And so that's when I said, like, okay, we got to have everyone in there. We have to have everyone. I want it to be almost like the love mystery. How did these two people come together? And seeing all the all pieces set out and then seeing them come together uh, romantically, if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. And I guess I just think about when I read Pride and Prejudice, you don't really see as much of Darcy's point of view. I mean, obviously, it's not told from from anyone's point of view that way. I mean, you understand how she comes to like him, but you don't see as much of his story, I don't feel like. I mean, I guess you do somewhat, but not as much as you do Will's story in your book.
0: I I will be perfectly honest. I read Pride and Prejudice for the first time in high school, and I remember not buying it. I remember being like, okay, lady, you fell in love with him after you saw his property. (laughs) Sure. And so... I, I, I was just like, you know, I can see it now. I can see how they, like, you know, it's more gradual, it's more subtle. But I think it's nice if it's on the page. And, she, like, that would have been too much for Jane to do. One thing you learn when you're trying to do a retelling is how much of an amazing plotter, how many strings were in the air that you didn't even realize that Jane Austen was sorry, strings in the air, balls were in the air that <laughs> you didn't realize that Jane Austen was juggling with um, while giving you the emotion and the thought and the commentary uh, on her time. And so I was like, you know, I think for for the modern reader, if I'm going to switch to third person on this shit, I need to change more visibly on the page. And Not that I don't trust the reader, but I think that I I think that's sort of since I have that ability with that perspective that I chose, I feel like I owe that to the reader. uh, So we can see a bit more of Will's heart.
1: That makes sense. And I mean, there is so much going on in Pride and Prejudice, so many different storylines that are interwoven. And as you said, commentary on the time, there are many things. And so I think she does, I think Lizzie does learn. About Darcy through other things, and that kind of helps her understand him better. But yes, I think it was really nice to have Will's perspective. Well, what about your job as a librarian? So you're a librarian, correct? Yes. So how did that impact your writing and what you felt needed to be in your book, and then kind of the whole process of getting a book out into the world?
0: So what's interesting is I'm not the kind of librarian you probably think of. I don't work at a public library. I work at a um, a museum. And so uh, I worked with a sort of a specialized, more specialized researchers. And the thing that I got most from my, my job is like, one, just like the appreciation of just being around books and how the right book can just sort of brighten someone's day. And it sort of gave me reassurance that like my book was going to be for, that there's someone out there who could use my book, even though my, of course, my researchers are, are not getting fiction for me. There are so many specialized books on specialized topics that were coming across my desk that I was like, this book, you know, when I was writing it, I was like, I don't know if people are going to be into it. I, I was like, no, there's a book for someone. Like, every, There's a book out there for every person. And there's someone out there who needs my book who hasn't read a book like mine yet. And so most the thing I most got out was encouragement to keep going. And that, like, when this book comes out there, you know, it may not be for everyone but it's going to be for someone who's going to love it.
1: Oh, I like that. And so yes, I thought you were a librarian at a public library so you would be encountering a lot of fiction and things like that. But it sounds like from your job that you aren't and so you would gain different insight than as as a public librarian.
0: Right. What do you hope readers take away from your book? Gosh, well, a couple of things. I really wanted to first have a dark-skinned woman fall in love and be happy in a novel just because you don't see it enough. I, I, I think you're seeing it more than you used to. I, God bless this array, <laughs> but you still aren't seeing it enough. And there are not there are a lot of people who just don't see themselves in in love stories. You know, I, I'm a. I have to admit, I'm a fan of Love Island, both the UK and the American one. And that, those shows like that, like you know, the the big kissing shows, can be a hard thing to watch if you don't fit the TV world's uh, idea of who's beautiful and who's worthy of love. You know, I, I want my my EJ, who is, she, she's a hard worker and she's very smart and talented, but it's just an ordinary Black woman who who's you know, not a singer, not a model, but, you know, re- re- walking this life and worthy of love. I, I think that that's necessary. And I also wanted to present a story that I don't think i heard yet of uh, what it's like to be a black and predominantly, uh, predominantly white institution, you know, and that is not about race. Like, race is going always going to be a factor uh, if you're in the minority, but, like, you don't live your life waking up thinking, okay, you know, how hard is it going to be black today? You, you live your life, and sometimes racist things happen, or sexist things happen, or fatphobic things happen, and then You deal with them. And just, I wanted to present a whole Black female character with both love ambitions and career ambitions and good friendships and, you know, interesting taste. Just to show that there's so, like, so many different kinds of Black women out there and that I wanted to challenge myself as a writer not to write and not imagine that I had to represent all kinds of Black women, but I could write one story for one black woman and hope that the world be interested enough to read her story and then read other stories about other different kinds of black women and other kinds of black people like uh, non-binary people black men there are lots of different kinds of there still aren't enough representations of and gosh they're interesting and please go read all of them
1: (laughs) well i agree with you completely and that's something i have commented on in several of my interviews with people is that it doesn't seem like there are enough stories about just normal, regular old Black people living their lives versus it having to be some major drama or major issue, but just like a regular person living their life. And I think maybe that is what resonated so much about your story with me was because she was, she was wonderful. And she just was, you know, going about her business just like a regular person. And I think there needs to be a lot more of that. Because that's true. <laughs> but I mean, I just don't think there is as much as there, as there should be, though, as you said, the tide is turning. But I don't even know what Love Island is.
0: Oh, uh, I'm not sure if I should. I, I, I don't know if, if, as a value as as a person. I would be a good thing in informing you, but just for context, <laughs> Love Island is a dating show where they put sexy singles, i using my my air quotes, on island and a resort, and they're stuck there and they have to couple up immediately. And there's always this moment that is sort of horrifying, where like they have the women in bikinis and they have the men come in and they have to the men get to pick which one they want to go a uh, couple up with and every year it's the question is will will the dark skin girl get picked last oh, oh. and and <laughs> across i think there's three different franchises ma- major franchises uh, UK, Australia and US and only once in the US was a dark skinned woman not picked last and so Sometimes I'm encouraged. I think, oh, do people actually need my book? There's the Hume. There's all these great stories that, like, you know, you're seeing, you know, Black Boone everywhere being chosen. And then I'll watch Love Island, <laughs> Like, no, no. Still can use some reassurance. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, I'm not much of a reality TV watcher except for Amazing Race. So, Oh, I love
0: Amazing Race.
1: I do too. I love Amazing Race. And I think it's so much fun to watch. But that's about the only reality TV I watch. And maybe every once in a while, one of those cooking shows. But I'm not a big cook. So not even really those. But I was like, okay, I'll have to ask her what Love Island is. <laughs> uh, well, how about the title for this one? Obviously, you're working with a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice, but how did you end up calling it The Bennett Women?
0: Well, when I first envisioned the story, it was a lot more of an ensemble piece, and it was a lot more based in place. I really had an idea about a uh, sort of Bennett House as this this oasis on, on, on a college campus where these uh, particular kinds of... Sort of slightly nerdier women got to fully be themselves, and then sort of form a sisterhood after the, out of that. So knowing that I I was doing this retelling and not actually using a, a blood family for my sisterhood, I really wanted to create that unity from the house and from the culture of the house and the friendships that form within it, and had that lead the story. And there's once a the version where the house had its own just sort of prologue. I gave this. History of the house and Dorothea Bennett and going back to a a Jewish Armenian person who got to, was the first owner of the house. And I was like, okay, this is too much. This is like, well, I was told this is too much prologue. But I I, I think I I like grounding my stories in a sense of place. And so that's that's the Bennett of it all is the, the house that brought them all together. My my Charlotte Lucas character, who is Tessa, is also an RA in the house, and I just wanted them to be this sort of like unit of sort of sisterly friendship, even though she's not technically a Bennett, but she is a Bennett woman.
1: Well, I liked that, and obviously, then it gives you a clue that it's going to have some reference to a Jane Austen story. Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> which is fun because I mean, I'm always amazed at what a huge, I guess you call it, subgenre. It is a retelling of Jane
0: Austen stories. I was very lucky to be on, a, I think it's a publisher's weekly list of upcoming retellings. And I saw right below mine, there's another Pride and Prejudice retelling that's set in the world of burlesque, which sounds really interesting. I was like, you can do this so many ways.
1: <laughs> you really can. So was the list that you were on retelling of Jane Austen
0: or retelling of Pride and Prejudice? Oh, it, was re- it was retellings coming in 2021. Oh, so any retelling. Right. There were three Austens that then others. And then two of the Austins were Pride and Prejudice. Got it.
1: Yes, I do think it is the most common of the retellings. I agree with that completely. And they're so fun to read. And I think that the In Sense and Sensibility, I think her last one was a retelling of Persuasion. And I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was really fun too, because again, I love that.
0: Recipe for Persuasion. (laughs) Yes, that one, exactly. And I really
1: loved that book. I, I don't like Sense and Sensibility at all. So I tend to not then read the retellings of it since I don't even like the original. So you said Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion are your favorites too. Yes. Are there any of her others that you really like or don't like?
0: I enjoy Northanger Abbey. I think it's really funny. I think if you read it as a, as a straight comedy more than a romance, it's really great. I like Lady Susan too. I, I, I like I like John, Jane Austen when she's catty and funny. It's funny. The one that I like least is the one that next one I'm uh, trying to retell, which is Emma. And I also I also struggle with Sense and Sensibility. Just because the gap between the sisters is much wider than, and, and like a feeling and insensibility, if you will, than the one in uh, *Prime and Prejudice. You know, it's easier. I think we can root for both sisters. And it's hard to root for both sisters at the same time in sense and sensibility.
1: Yes, I don't know why, but I have just never liked that story. I do love Emma, actually. And Emma is one of those stories. I just recently watched the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow with my daughter, who's 18. And, you know, she was like, hmm, I don't think she loved Emma herself. And I said, I think Emma's one of those characters that as I've gotten older, I've liked better and understood better. That I think as you go through various parts of your life and you mature, you kind of understand maybe a little bit more where, where Emma might be the way she is when she was young. But so that's the one you're working on next. Is that what you said?
0: Yes. It's, it's a much looser retelling than this one. It's actually, uh, it's centering EJ's sister, Maya. It's sort of from the Harriet character's perspective. And I know it's hard to think of how a 31-year-old Maya would be uh, represent the Harriet character, but it's a post, hopefully post-pandemic novel. She's got sort of derailed, as many people did during the pandemic, and now is starting over, and she's going to be starting over in an industry that she does not understand that well. And my Emma character, or Emma as she's going to be called, is this venture capitalist wonder kid looking to... She She says that she's trying to help other people who are not also born in third base as she started with a, a lot of her, her father's money. And I'm, it's technically called the protégé. And so I am learning a whole lot about um, drafting a second book because this was several poets from where I started. So it's interesting, but I'm really interested in in the Harriet character as as an idea and would be like to have someone to sort of pick you and decide that they're going to try and see to your success and sort of questions about control and, you know, basically, can you be friends with your boss? So there's a lot going on in that one. There's a lot going on. Well, that's good, though, just
1: like there were in Jane Austen. It's still still going on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm working on it. Well, Knightley rivals Darcy for me in terms of my favorite of her heroes in the books. I just love him.
0: Yeah. I think I like Knightley better than Darcy, but I you know, I like M- MLSS less and Lizzie. Yeah. That that's fair. Kind of balances out, right? Right. Well,
1: what have you read recently that you really liked?
0: Gosh, so I have to say start by saying that during I'm drafting now and so I've been taking in mostly audiobooks. And so I did not realize that House Moving Castle was a book and I immediately got the audiobook from my library and it's so captivating. I just adored it as a, as a fantasy story that sort of sweeps you off your feet. It's it's sort of middle grade YA, but gives you that, like, can't fire story feeling. I have also been uh, reading the Heartstopper graphic novels, the graphic novel series, about uh, two teenage boys in the UK slowly falling in love. And finally, something a little bit more grown up, but again, in my fairy same fairy tale vein, I listened to the uh, short story collection was well, not yours. It's not yours by Helen Oyemi, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to listen to as, as an audiobook. book, and just she has a fascinating way of of bending myth, but with beautiful prose.
1: I have never read her, but I've heard wonderful things.
0: I think that's a good place to start. I think that her novels are very twisty <laughs> and, and um, require a lot of attention. I, I started one that's like I cannot finish and write at the same time, so I have to choose that one away, but her short stories are are delectable, fascinating bonbons. Okay, good. I'll add that to my list.
1: Well, Eden, thank you so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast today. I really enjoyed talking about the Bennett women.
0: Thank you for having me. This is wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode and I hope you'll tune in next time.